is live from the table, the official podcast of New York's world-famous Comedy Cellar, coming at you on Sirius XM 99 Raw Dog, and on the Laugh Button Podcast Network, Dan Natterman here with Periel Ashenbrand, and we are in the studio at the Comedy Cellar, and of course, Noam Dorman, the owner of the Comedy Cellar, is here. We also welcome Ranan Hirschberg, who is a Comedy Cellar regular. As Thank a friend, Ranan, how long have you been... Regular. I got in right before the pandemic. So I've been in for, I guess, a year and a half or four months. Well, he's a relative newcomer. We'll leave it yeah. at that. Considering, you know, let's face it, there's some, there's some dinosaurs here at the Comedy Cellar. And I, I'm talking I to one. <laughs> Renan Herzberg's credits include The Late Late Show with James Corden, Comedy Central podcast with Joe. He has a podcast, rather, with Joe List called Joe and Renan talk movies i know that um doug benson has a movie podcast so i, I don't know uh how you feel about his podcast or whether it's just it's- us two we're the only two movie podcasts just so. the only two or the only two yeah. worth mentioning anyway <laughs> uh by the way the uh, i got a i got an email we all got an email from liz ferriati the general manager of the comedy seller saying that we're going to full capacity what, what's the date now uh, may may 30th may 31st right well, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think I deleted June first and May thirty first. Well, it's very oh. soon, and with the with the, you had to have uh, present your vax card at the door. I guess is that correct? Yeah, yeah. And um, is there any mandate from the city as to how uh, the as to whether you need to verify the? I mean, how, how you verify the vaccination? These these cards look pretty forgeable to me, quite frankly. No, the, the we don't. We, I mean, it hasn't been very. No, we haven't. You, you, we haven't gotten much guidance at all. Reminds me of the old days of fake IDs, you know. I mean, you can literally create one of these in like Photoshop. You know how to use Photoshop, Perio? I actually do know how to use Photoshop. No, I also know how to use Illustrator. Uh, let's see. I, I, let's do a little. Let's do a little like a comedy seller challenge. Let's see you do it. Let's see you do a fake. A vax card for next week. And well, whether or not Periel can do it is Done. not is not the issue. The issue is people can do it. Whether they're going to make that sort of an effort to yeah. see a comedy show, I don't know. I'm just feeling ornery. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if they'll make that kind of effort for a comedy show. But who knows? Why are you feeling ornery? Uh, just, you know, I don't know. A lot of stuff. A lot of stress. I mean, give us something. No, nothing in particular. Just... I, I don't know. You know, sometimes I think it's just it's just a biorhythm. Sometimes you just feel stressed. Sometimes you don't. But um, I, I have been not been. I've been fit. I'm fit to be tied right now. Well, one wonders how we ever feel other than stress, given the uh, precariousness of our situation. That is to say, the 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 march of time toward the inevitable uh, grave. But anyway, let's lighten things up a bit. I invited Renan on for a specific purpose. Renan, I think you probably know why I invited you on. I assume it has to do with Israel. I feel like I'm going to get sandbagged here. No, you're not going to get sandbagged, <laughs> but I did want to discuss the, the, the post that you made, which is uh, Renan guess, made. Maybe teabagged. We'll see about sandbagged. Teabagged. All right. Well, Renan, and I, I commented on the post, but Renan made a post on Instagram that's gotten so far. Isn't it, isn't it Renan? Yeah, Ranan. Well, it can go either way. It's Hebrew. Ranan, oh, he's, he's feeling bold. 
actually Yeah, you got to have a gut. You got to be able to make a guttural sound to p- correctly pronounce my name. I can't do it. It's like Ra'anan. Yeah, you, you got it, kind of. Ra'anan made a post on Instagram that caught my attention in many ways. It's at 793 likes, which I must say, uh, give it, given the number of followers you have, is a fairly robust like to follow a ratio it's about one six of your followers have liked I feel like that's a backhanded uh, compliment right there <laughs> no, no, because I have, even less, I have even less followers you have to judge you have to judge the amount of likes by in relation to the amount of followers you have yeah of course of course so, yes so you have more followers than i do so it's by no means a backhanded compliment I mean, neither of us have hundreds of thousands it's just no it's just funny the way you said it you're like anyway I have hundred, which is a huge portion of the small amount yeah, so in of- other words well, it's it's a robust number compared to me, anyway. You know, but um, it got a lot of likes now uh-huh. and a lot of uh, comments that oh, are very very positive. But I don't want to read it unless Renan authorizes me, or unless he wants to read it himself. Or unless well, I, I, I do want to say it was a joke. I feel like no one's. Uh, <laughs> I feel like it has not been called a joke. It's not been labeled a joke. It might not be that funny to you, but it was a joke. It's quite witty. But but okay, but, yeah. Well, I was just haven't said it, you know, like I wasn't making like some, I don't make big, like, I'm not, I don't, I, I think you, you have, you should have a quota of one serious post a year and I wait for yeah, like, I think an animal to die or something. Like, what? I think it was taken seriously. Like what? One you got to read it. You got to read it because people are listening to a show here. Come on. I'm not going to read it unless Renan authorized me to read his. And if, if he doesn't authorize you to read it, then you, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Can throw him out. <laughs> you can, yeah, read it, Dan. You have a, Imagine yeah. listening to this and then he find out he's not going to read it. Like, the fuck did I listen to this show for in the first place? <laughs> I will read it unless read it. To read it, but I will read it. Dear sure. people asking me about Israel just because I'm a Jew. All I know about Israel is that when I is that I got my first blowjob there on birthright when I was 16 years old. I should probably mention that birthright's a a, a, a program where Jewish kids get sent to Israel. <laughs> Don't butcher my jokes with the fucking facts. Right, <laughs> that is the limit of my knowledge of Israeli foreign policy. Please leave me alone. And then this is a postscriptum of sorts. The blowjob was from an, an asterisk. Is an asterisk. An asterisk. Yes. The blowjob was from a girl who was actually dating some other dude, but I just swooped in. Though no one seemed to care because I had been bullied for so long before that, like for as long as anyone could remember, so people thought I deserved to win. And then that dude tried to fight me and I kicked his ass and everyone was like, well, he has a right to defend himself. But then I kept on kicking his, the dude's ass over and over and over again. And people were like, this is a little awkward. I think the guy getting bullied has now officially become the bully. Anyway, that's all I know. That I got my first blow job on birth right when I was 16. I don't have any opinion on the matter. Please leave me alone. And I assume our listeners understand the metaphor. Yeah. Uh, but if you don't understand, he's, he's making a metaphor about Israel. Israel, he's, uh, he's comparing to himself uh, that he, he stole a guy's girlfriend. The guy kicked his ass, or tried to kick his ass, but he kicked the guy's ass. But since he was bullied, for so long, he deserved the win. But then he kept continuing to kick the guy's ass. And now he, the bullied, had become the bully. So that is and, an and analogy. Like, so, so, so missiles are like a blowjob? I'm not sure I get it. So, so first of all, Renan, it's not the perfect metaphor. <laughs> I want to clarify, is this your position on the, on the Palestinian-Israeli conflict? Or are you just going for the, going for the, 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 the laugh? I think the joke here... And it's probably not a great one. I wrote a lot of Israeli jokes. This one got, you know, um, in the last week or two. But uh, I think ultimately the joke 
is more or it's more about me or an American Jew kind of not wanting getting mad that they're always having to defend Israel, you know, but also kind of wanting to say that they there's a lot about Israel they don't like, but being afraid to say it out loud too at the same time. So if, if anything, it's, a, it's really, it's more of an expression of the, uh, the, the moral crisis of the, uh, my generation of American Jews, you know. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it's obviously a complicated situation. Hey, Renat, and I, I'm very, very fond of you, both comedically and personally, mm-hmm. that I actually found the disturbing the post disturbing. Because, yeah. and I'm just being honest, because I felt that, I felt that you were saying in a witty way, but you were saying that it basically Israel is the bully of the region. And, and furthermore, many people seem to be on board. But Israel well, got the blowjob. Yes. Well, talk about the blowjob. <laughs> you really stuck on the blowjob. <laughs> so I didn't, so I was like, oh, Israel, what, anybody gets the blowjob. Anyway, go ahead, go ahead. If anything, it's very offensive because I'm using a girl as a metaphor for like land. So it's really, it's quite a problematic uh, post. Really. <laughs> um, I think, I don't, well, let me just, A, I don't know that much. I'm trying to learn more. Um, so, but you know, a lot of people don't, you know, I know probably more than some, but I don't, I'm, I'm not, I'm a fucking idiot, but I still want to be able to do jokes about whatever I want, you know? But I do think Israel has always, there's always been this tension between what it does for survival, which is valid, and what it does uh, in its tactics that uh, go beyond survival into some kind of uh, domination or an asymmetric war. And uh, it's always kind of skirted that tension. And I do think in many ways Israel has, um, uh, and once again, I'm an idiot. And if you throw facts at me, I'll probably just, you know, bow over. But I think Israel does do things that it's obviously bullying and aggressive, yes. So this is interesting. This is, this is not just about you, but I've heard this like five times in the last two weeks, enough to, to, to think that maybe this is becoming a, um, a, a trope. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know what it is. But quite often people have been saying, I don't know that much about the situation. I, I, it's, it's complicated, but I just feel like, and I'm noticing over and over and over again that people are kind of hiding, you know, they're, they're criticizing Israel, and then hiding behind the fact that they don't know that much. Where one might say, if you don't know that much, shut up. <laughs> you know, like, I like mean, what, what I, comedian? I don't know that much about string theory, but blah, 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 blah. I know it's very, very complicated. Only some physicists understand it. But blah, but here's my opinion. Well, nobody, like, what? If, what, a, comedian, if a comedian could only make a joke on the thing they're an expert about, there'd be no comedy. So no, but you'd be out of business. No, you, but 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 we're not talking. We're not making. We're not talking no, about this joke now. I didn't mind the joke. Huh? This is different because. Well, I finish his well, I thought no, you were I'm just saying that, that we're, we're, all the fucking time. Go ahead. No, Ma, I thought you were you were in the midst of. Uh, I thought he was done. Um. Well, now you're taking the wind out of my sail. Um. So, but you're, but you're getting into the thing, but listen, let, let's see, let's see how complex it really is. Um, when, uh, when, when you're, when you fire missiles into another country, is there any um, situation under which you should be surprised or think it's inappropriate for them to, for them to fire back? Well, so this is a question, cause I, I still want to go back to the fact that my thing was a joke and I do think comedians should be allowed to make 
jokes, even if I'm not like an expert on. No, no, of course you can. I don't, I don't mind though. But, but I'm, but nevertheless, we're talking outside of the joke. No, but there, no, but there, there is something in the joke which is making a point, and it's, it's fine to make a point. I'm not offended by it, <laughs> but it does kind of skirt what seems to me <clears throat> the intellectually honest um, uh, charge uh, price of admission to this conversation, which is <clears throat> if you are being if you are a, a nation and you have missiles being fired at you, <coughs> asymmetric or otherwise, whether you're more power, whatever it is, is there some scenario where you have to take it, where you're not, where you're not entitled to fire back? <coughs> In other words, people making this analogy, like, like should, we, should we have, would, would the Second World War have been less immoral for, if, if we had allowed, you know, let the Japanese to kill more of us? These, I mean, those are, I mean, these are like, false equivalencies right so no what's false you're, you're the you're the democratically le elected leader of the nation of israel and missiles are coming in is there some scenario where you shouldn't fire back that's what i'm asking you but the difference between firing back and possibly firing back with some sense of trying to minimize casualties. No, fire back to the extent that's necessary to make it stop well that's i mean they didn't for first of all there was they didn't make it stop they're still firing on both sides and do you think they have any obligation to like not, you know, because obviously when they fire back, they kill way more civilians than have been fired back in Israel. And these are people that they're essentially in an occupied territory. Do you think they have no, and I don't know too much about foreign policy, but do you think they have no obligation to like minimize the deaths of the people they shot back? Because clearly they, we saw yeah, they from have, this. They have, they, have, they have obligations to try to minimize civilian casualties. Do you feel like they did? Um, from what I've read, yes, I do feel like this. As a matter of fact, there was a, a um, UN guy who misspoke and actually said that, in his, that he thought they did. But the fact is that these missiles come from within civilian areas. And many people say, and I, I don't even know why I'm putting it this way, but I'll just, just to be less contentious, there, there's a pretty credible accusation that, that human shields are part of the strategy. And Human and, shields are also used as an excuse. Whether Hamas uses human shields or not, that doesn't mean Israel can just be like, well, they're human, human shields, so now we're going to kill yeah, well, as it, many it, children it, it as means, possible. No, I don't know. If you, listen, obviously, this is, this is where it gets ridiculous. Israel is, as you, as you say, a, a thousand times more powerful than Hamas. If it had yeah, wanted yeah. to kill civilians, there wouldn't be 100, 200 civilians killed or 100 combatants and 100 civilians. There'd be thousands dead. There, there's no... Israel, Israel has the, the power to, to do whatever it wants there. I mean, listen, let's put the show on the other foot. If the Iron Dome had gone down for 90 minutes, do you have any doubt that every one of the 14,000 missiles at Hamas would have rained down trying to kill as many Israelis as possible? Well, they say a cat, when he scratches you, is trying to kill you. But if my cat scratches me, should I throw him out the window because he could have killed me if he was bigger? Does that mean, does that mean you think they would have tried to kill as many Israelis as possible or they, they wouldn't Of have? course. Of course. Okay. I'm not, I'm not now, right. Israel is not trying to kill as many civilians as possible. If they are, they're really bad at it considering all the But you're conflating Hamas and, and civilians. Like, just because Hamas wants to kill as many civilians as possible in Israel doesn't mean that, you know, well, let me ask you this people, kids from, like, So many children died. There's so many people who are not. Listen, to conflate Hamas with the citizens of Gaza. Listen, you're, 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 you're very agile here, but you're ducking basic questions, which, I mean, if when Hamas is sending the missiles into Israel, don't they do it knowing? And by the way, they have no objective here. It's not like they're sending missiles to defend themselves or sending missiles in order to uh, aggressively take land. Or the, the, the only, there's just a pure 
kill civilian. I yeah, I'm not. Yeah. I I, and, I hate and, him. And, and and all of a sudden, the leader of the country who's taking incoming shoots back. Now, of course, civilians are going to die. It is, it is, you, you think there's some scenario where Israel's going to shoot back and civilians aren't going to die? You think Hamas is not fully aware that when they shoot these missiles, that missiles are going to come back and kill civilians? Do you think that they don't also know that the pictures of civilians dying are actually how they achieve victory here? The only, the only, the only like, like, I'm trying to be fair, but the only objective Hamas actually could have here in terms of benefiting from this conflict is the civilian casualties. What other benefit could there be to Hamas? But that still doesn't justify but Israel. The other benefit potentially is to well, it does. Ju- Listen, when, 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 uh, when, we, when, America, when America got hit with 9-11, we did 100 times worse t- when we made it Afghanistan. Nobody said we didn't deserve it. We weren't entitled to it. Nobody. Uh, Barack Obama was droning people in tense years after 9-11. Uh, when when um, Germans died in World War II, uh, and I don't mean to compare Palestinian people to Nazis, but I compare Hamas to Nazis. When Germans died in World War II, people blamed their Nazi leaders, not the allies for defending. When, when people died in Japan, people de- blamed the emperor for for. Sh- for getting them into a war with the United States. Normally, when you have an evil leader that sucks your country into a war, the evil leader is the one people are upset with, not the country that fires back. But excusing something based on what other people did is kind of fallacious. You no, know, I'm, logically I'm giving you a moral, a moral... Listen, dude, you live where? In what borough? Crown Heights. Okay, if you... It start, looks a little like Gaza, honestly. If you start yeah, getting missiles in Crown Heights and your family is going into bomb shelters on 90-second notice, you are going to expect your goddamn leader to fire back until it stops. And if they don't, you're going to vote them right out of office. Everything you're saying, everything you're saying will disappear the second you find yourself in a bomb shelter and see your, your, uh, your neighbor's apartments being blown up. And by the way, a few of, a few of your family's friends being killed. And that's a false way, argument. That's like one saying more thing, one more thing. One more thing. We also know Hamas builds no bomb shelters, none, zero. Right. Why but do they do that? But that still means Israel's had a responsibility to minimize the death of. Gaza how do you know children. they're not? How, ma- how many deaths? I guess. How do you know they are? Well, why? How many? <laughs> Which one? Is, how do you know we are? And how do they know they're not? Well, because I mean, the number actually, given the power uh, that Israel has and the the tremendous amount of um, retaliation that went on, two hundred people dead in a listen. In the other uh, countries in the Middle East, when they have um, battles, you, you deal in tens and hundreds of thousands of dead. When, when Iran and Iraq went to war, more people died in one day than in all the Arab-Israeli wars combined on both sides. When there's a civil war in Syria, you have 500,000 dead Syrians. When Israel goes to war against Hamas, you have 200, uh, not civilians, 200 people dead, some of them are civilians. But I can't yeah, like murder five people and be like, hey, there was a bomb and after so what would you do? So what would you do if you were the Prime Minister of Israel when the missiles come in? Well, also, first of all, when I say bully, that's like a big umbrella, and you specifically meant with that. I mean, do you not think Israel do you not think a joke about Israel being bullying has any weight? I don't any mind accuracy? your joke. Okay. I don't mind right. your joke. I just I don't understand. You're you're just you're you're taking my fire because do you think just to just to zoom out of, into the comedy world for a second, do you think that at this point at this juncture in history, and considering what's going on, do you think comedians have any responsibility when they do make jokes? So, so you know, in other words, assuming it was just a joke, does being just a joke 
Is that? Well, I don't think it's just a joke. I mean, obviously, I, I, I think Israel is bullying, but I also don't think the question of Israel being bullying. I didn't in the joke specifically say Israel is bullying for this specific reason about firing rockets. I said Israel's is bullying. So, you know, I would just mean that's kind of a wide umbrella. Let me make another point because it's important. But it's true that neither of us t- technically know, like, you say they minimized, and I get the feeling that they did not because well, over 200 people died and 60, 70 children yeah, died. How many well, I get the feeling that they did not minimize. Why not? What, yeah. How many people? Okay, two things. First, I'm going to say the first thing. I want to get back to what you just said. It's very important here, not for anybody to think that, I don't, that we, I don't take very seriously, the humanitarian tragedy of all this. Children dying, children are not uh, terrorists, children are not anything, children are children. And children dying as a father uh, and um, as a friend of, of Palestinians, uh, this is beyond, it's, it's incomprehensible, the sorrow, and it's, it's, impossible, it's impossible emotionally to, to deal with that. So, so I'm, I'm, nothing I'm saying here should in any way. And I'm not saying you. Sp- I'm not saying. Hold you. on, no, hold on. Hold on. No, nothing I'm saying here should any way um, be, be be taken to think that I that that there's that I that I you know that I that I minimize it in any way. Nevertheless, what I'm saying is that if you have how many ro- three thousand rockets were fired at Israel from us? How many? Three, something like that. Three, three, like four. Three, yeah, I three four thousand. And you know these are fired from densely populated areas. And you know they don't have bomb shelters. And you know Israel's returning fire. How, what number of civilians would you have expected where it would have like felt right to you that Israel was taking precautions? Like, how do you think they're gonna fire back at, at these missile silos and not have people die? Not silos, but- or missile uh, batteries or whatever. Yeah, well, I mean, like, what? What? I'm accusing you of of extreme bias here because it sounds to me like I would say, if you had told me that two thousand people died, mm-hmm. I wouldn't. That would that on the face of it, I don't know that much about warfare. I wouldn't say like, oh, that's ridiculous. Three thousand missiles fired and three thousand back and and two thousand people died. I mean, I, I don't know. It, it you know that I that was a two hundred people dying. That sounds like quite a low number compared to Israeli casualties. I think you're no, who, why it. would you compare them? What, in what war do you, as a matter of fact, I would say wars were casualties. Well, I think, well, I think we should compare. I think we should look at a symmetric what war. Wars. Tell me, give, fine. Give me an example of any war we've ever done that. I mean, I do it. I mean, morally judge an asymmetric war. So, so America then has been the bad guy basically in every war it's ever fought because we, yes, we yes. Don't, don't <laughs> yes. World War two. You can, you can, because way, way, way more Nazis died than Americans. So now you can draw a conclusion about America. In, 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 in Japan, my God, even without World War Adam- II was not, is not an asymmetric war. The Nazis were a very powerful army. Apparently not. We lost, they lost. But like the Iraq war, <laughs> the Iraq war, the first Iraq war is very asymmetric. Uh, and, a- we, and we killed so many more people. I, I think you can't, I mean, I think there is moral... Well, I think you can look at Israel and Gaza and be like. So, so what are you saying that we should, that they, that's not, this is what I understand. Pearl Harbor, as it were, that's what defines the war. That, then that when you, when, when rockets come into a country, the leader of that country has to defend that country. And 
asymmetrical is it, that implies that you have to do it with one hand behind your back. But we no, do judge world. No, with- no citizen will reelect a leader that defends them with one hand behind its back because the judge- other side because the other side purposely exposes or stupidly exposes or for whatever reason is just not good at warfare. So they're not good at it. So we have to take more missiles, and that is crazy talk. That's not the way. That's not not only is not the way the world works. It's not the way. It is not the way you would want your leader. If 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 your neighborhood were being bombed, you would want it stopped, and you would say, "Do whatever you got to do to make it stop." I'm I'm getting bombed here. But we do that with World War II. We judge the firebombing on Dresden. We think that was unnecessary. We think no, that was Dresden, no. That's not true. Dresden, we we bomb, we we judge because that they were firebombing civilians for the sake of killing civilians. Well, but in the in the moment, they assumed it was obviously part of the war. No, so we, Dres, the, the firebombing of Dresden was was intentional, uh, trying to inflict civilian casualties. That's that's a mar, that's a as by the way was the atom bomb. Neither of us are in the Israeli army. Neither of us know, but my interpretation. Yeah, but the two of me and you is that I don't know, so I don't. You don't know me. either, though. So why? You don't, listen, you don't make accusations in life unless you do know. But or you don't know either, and you're making I'm accusations. Defend, I'm, not, I'm not making the accusation. The burden of proof is not on me. If you're going to say Israel's targeting civilians, you can't, you have, your burden of proof is on you to say so. If I say uh, you're a racist and, I don't, and, you, and the reason you were mean to Sharad Small is because he's black, uh, I have to have something. I have to be able to to, to back that up. I can say, well, that's, that's the feeling I got. So I'm going to say if neither of us know, if neither of us know whether Israel was not could have done better, more a better job of minimizing lives in Gaza. You're saying you have the burden of proof is on me over you. Of course it is because you're making the claim. Well, you're making the claim that they didn't. No, it's I'm just, saying I don't know. It doesn't. I, well, well you're, you know, you're saying they didn't. That's I, different. No, what I said was I read some articles which seemed, seemed to say that they didn't. The number to me in a common sense way doesn't seem high, but I'm open. I'm you're open. Right, to, well, hold on. But right, I'm right, open. Right, I'm right, open wait, but I'm certainly open to persuasion. If you, if you have a fact, something you read, an expert, an article, some, some metric of some other wars, some even a common something i'll say oh shit maybe he's right an interview with something but just to say you think it's true and you're going to go public with the accusation i mean i i I don't i don't i don't think that's i don't think that's right for me 60 children over two children in israel is asymmetric is to me to me asymmetric that's my that's my feeling on that so israel should have waited for some more children to die before of its own children before it had the right to to bomb back can I ask well, a question? Uh, slip in yeah, here. So I don't only, understand the argument. The only reason that, first of all, I will start by saying, like, any child or civilian, anybody dying is a fucking tragedy. Um, so that's Palestinian, Israeli, anything. And I am, my heart breaks for all of it. The whole thing is so devastating. Um, but... To, to Noam's point, I mean, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law and family are right on the border, and they had bombs raining down on them 24 fucking seven for days on end. They were living in a bomb shelter. And the only reason that most of those people are alive is because of the Iron Dome. 
He's making an argument against the Iron Dome. I'm not making an argument against the Iron Dome. Why would you say that? Because it it saves Israeli lives, and your whole argument is based on the fact that not enough Israelis died. No, I'm saying that because they have an Iron Dome, they can still take into account that Gaza is more defenseless and have an obligation not to kill as many people. so I, I made the point before that the liberals say that so, so Iron Dome is 90% effective. So Israel should risk the other 10%. This is from the people who say Pfizer is 97% effective and they still won't take off their masks. You know, like not, you taking risks, you can't take, you can't say to your, your country, if you're a leader, listen, we're going to get nine out of 10 and we're just going to let the other, the other one out of 10 fall wherever it falls. And if, and if some of you kill, well, as long as it's not more than the Israel, um, as Arabs who were killed. You have to take into con- con- consideration, even if it was 100% effective, you're still talking about an assault uh, on the, the daily life of a population. Absolutely. But here's, but here's my question. Where is your anger at the, the, one, the one party here that we know, that you know, has dirty war criminal hands? You may have a theory about Israel, but the dirty... Un- uncontroversial, undebatable, dirty war criminal hands that are responsible for these children dying uh, is Hamas firing missiles. That is a war crime. They're, that is the, they are firebombing Israel the way you complain that we firebombed Dresden. Mm-hmm. Where, is your, where is your anger with them? And I, mean, and I have anger towards Israel? Hamas. I have anger towards Hamas. Where's your joke about Hamas? I have jokes. <laughs> but what, what do you tell me which to I mean first of all this is all just a plan of Dan to get me in trouble with Noam so I lose spots so he can get more spots I'll probably get more spots now because I like to have someone to argue with but I'm saying as, as it's like they're, they're, listen my, my big beef in this whole conflict is with American Jews who you know who should should with pride and I take pride take a magnifying glass to Israeli policies and, and the racism that we know and systemic racism that we know that the Arabs live with and, and every aspect of wanting d- Jews to live by their, to live morally and, and upright. But this extending to a chapter where Hamas is firebombing, I don't get that you, that you can't draw the line between, I don't like the, the, the way that Arabs are, you know, uh, treated with maybe water rights or whatever, one of these things or their schools are not funded or racism and saying, and, and therefore I'm going to turn a blind eye to the fact that Hamas, that is dedicated to destruction, not just of Jews in Israel, Jews everywhere on planet earth, mm-hmm. who calls us, who, who, who's, who's, who's rhetoric about Jewish people is no different than the rhetoric of the Nazis. The only thing is, this is 2021 and Jews are are looking the other way about this there's plenty of jewish nationalists jews are in bomb shelters and your argument is that when we fire back to protect ourselves if we kill i mean what we this is how we what do we do this every hundred years and then find ourselves slaughtered again if we can't stand up for ourselves on something like this why don't we just why don't we just put our heads on the chopping by let them kill us what when we can't defend ourselves when 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 missiles are being fired at us i mean it's also what led up to all this and it's also there are jewish nationalists who plenty of jewish nationalists who want arabs off the face of the earth or at least all arabs kicked out of israel there's plenty of jewish supremacy to go around. i mean that's that's not the official position god forbid of israel and it's certainly not the official position of 
any government. Mario, what are you doing? There is no Jew that wants Arabs off the face of the earth. The worst Jews. That's what I just said. No, no but not the, not, you say not the official position. It's not the unofficial position. The worst position that, that, we, that we have to shame us is the Kahanas position, which was uh, expulsion. That, that, is, that is the worst position. Expulsion has already happened in every Arab country of every Jew. Uh, most of these countries have zero Jews. Some of them have 10 or a dozen uh, we're in, in communities that had um, tens and hundreds of thousands of Jews. But the worst, most shameful position is the Kahana's position, which advocated expulsion. And by the way, Kahana was banned from the Knesset because he was called a racist. So what are you talking about? We say there's plenty of Jews that want to annihilate the Arabs off the face of Israel. Israel could annihilate the Arabs, if, all the Palestinians, if they want to do tomorrow. If, if that's really what you thought. Yeah, all the Jews on planet Earth, there may be some that do take that position. You certainly can't. I mean, I, from growing up where I grew up and the Jewish people I know and the Zionists I know, I don't know if it's, I don't know what, you know, off the face of the Earth, but I know plenty of Jews with a lot of bigotry towards Arabs. I said that. A lot of bigotry, yeah. Yeah, bigotry on one side and, and genocide. Uh, uh, Ryan, what are you talking about? Don't you're you also conflating Hamas with the Palestinian people. Not all the Palestinian no, people not, want I'm the not, Jews to be kicked no, off. No, I'm not conflating Hamas. I'm, I'm, no, as a matter of fact, I think you're conflating the Hamas with the Palestinian people because you're the one refusing to, to blame Hamas. I blame Hamas. I blame both sides. I think they're no, both awful. No, no, Yes. You, you blame both sides for the missiles coming into Israel? I, bl I blame both sides for the whole... For, for, yeah, I definitely blame both sides for that. The, I mean... You don't think Israel does the, the police so don't riots? About, and the, don't complain about Dresden then. What do you mean? What's your, what's your position on the atom bomb? I mean, what, you, I, thought, I, I took you to be a guy that thinks it's never okay to, to target civilians. I mean, it's, the atomic bomb situation is another situation where people can argue back and forth, and some people can be like, well, a million, a million more American soldiers would have died, so it was worth it. And then someone else can say, we don't think that. So it's kind of the same situation. I happen to think Japan was trying to surrender. There's a lot of information saying they were going to surrender that, that we should not have dropped an atom bomb. But yes, Listen, I, I don't I, think we should have dropped I'm the just, atom bomb. I'm just stunned. I'm just stunned. But all right. I mean, I'm stunned. It's, it's painful to me. It's actually painful to me to hear somebody of, of Israeli heritage. But it be, it's painful to me hear even some, you know, someone who's not Jewish or Palestinian say such a thing. But, it's, but it, it does, I can't lie, it's more painful to me to hear somebody want to Jewish, just, yeah. somebody Jewish, so casual, so casual about missiles being fired with the intention of trying to kill as many civilians as possible and then saying, we blame both sides. I mean, it's like, that's what, that's what uh, uh, people did at 9-11. People were like, well, we, we blame... Both sides for 9-11. Like, anytime there's conflict, you can blame both sides. But I mean, Israel occupied the territory. You're redefining war crimes. Usually war crimes don't extend the kind of uh, courtesy that you are extending. Usually when, a, when a one party throws, aims missiles into civilian areas mm. purposely as the targets, that's, the kind of, that's, that's a crime against humanity. I, I would like to. You, you, re, you want to redefine it now? I would like to, by the way, uh, apologize okay. to Ron, and if he feels sandbagged, I, I, I thought tea bagged, tea bagged, tea bagged. Uh, <laughs> please know that um, that your spots will not be affected. I've known him for twenty years, and the more he disagrees with you politically, 
probably the more spots you'll get. But certainly, yeah, but I don't know how Esty. Well, let's make sure nobody tells Esty. That's yeah, all. Right. I know. Well, you know, I was worried. I've been doing a bunch of Israeli jokes. None of those. No, but- don't have to worry. This is thank. You know what? You thank thank your lucky stars. You work for a conservative because honestly, because if you work for you know, in, in, at least this is not the way it was years ago. But right now, if you work for a conservative, you're much more likely to have somebody who says, "I don't care what you say. Say whatever you right, want." Right. Um, but um, I, I don't care what you say. But that doesn't mean I I don't want to. Uh, I, I can't argue with you. Okay, M- Misty, Misty. Misty Howard, let me do, uh, because I, you know, I don't get as much time, uh, airtime as I used to. Uh, <laughs> once Noam gets on a roll, he, he, he stays on that roll. Why are you pointing to that? I it's so upsetting. I said, Misty, you know why I said Misty <laughs> Harris? Because my pediatrician had a, had a daughter, Missy Harris. This is going back quite a few years, needless to say. Her, her mic is, your mic is muted. Misty, your mic is muted. Okay, so go ahead, Dan. Misty, as in play Misty for me, or Misty Mountain Hop if you're a Zeppelin fan. Um, Misty Harris is a trial attorney. Both Noam and I have law degrees. Neither of us are practicing lawyers. She specializes in the defense of clients in entertainment, sports, employment, civil rights, and sex assault abuse cases. Well, that's really running the gamut, I think. <laughs> um, and she's an independent legal analyst on a variety of network TV shows. In any case, welcome Misty, not Missy. Misty Maris. Yes, thank you so much. I appreciate it. You look, you look like you're in your law office, unless that's some sort of a virtual background. Nope, this is the library at my office. I don't have this in my home. Do you use books or is that just... We do still have books. Yes, we have a full library. Anything you want to read. If is, you want to take a nap. Is Misty, is Misty a Jewish name? It is not. It is not. I am I am a... I am pretty Irish, <laughs> although my parents say they picked my name just out of a baby name book. I always get a lot of questions about where it came from. It's very random. They wanted me to have the alliteration. Mr. Maris. <laughs> I, I named my kid Benjamin Flash Dwarman because I wanted him to have the initials BFD, like big, big fucking <laughs> deal. So I, but before we get into uh, uh, other stuff, are you, are you up on um, you know Geneva Conventions and rules of uh, conflict and stuff like that? And you have anything to add on the on the legal legalities of Hamas firing missiles into Israel? Sex abuse and entertainment law. Although okay. there, some might find some might. I find have a lawyer. I have too. Can I bring in a lawyer on my? Yes, side? please, please. All right, we're we're gonna zoom them in. <laughs> Tell me we can bring lawyers to the debate. <laughs> Misty, do you know anything? Do you know anything about that stuff? That's really not my area of expertise with respect to international treaties. Although, as you pointed out, I run the gambit on quite a few other issues. <laughs> Anyway, no, you invited Misty, I assume, for a certain reason. Well, she, I, I heard her commentary about the Chauvin trial when it was going on. But then, um, you know, that, that, that issue seems to have um, uh, calmed down now. But you, yeah. you uh, and, I, and I wanted to, you know, get into a little debate about that at the time. But, let, but let's, let's go back to it because it is, the, is today the anniversary or yesterday was the anniversary of, of George. Yeah. And, uh, and actually, the Chauvin trial is, is, there's a lot of issues coming up on the pike and significant issues and really complex legal issues and also uh, a, a lot of new activity just in the past couple of weeks with respect to some information that came out about a juror, uh, with respect to a motion for a mistrial and potential hearings relating to that, a federal indictment of all four officers, uh, and of course the trial of Lane, King, and, and Tao, which has now been rescheduled to March 2022. So there's a lot of interplay going on between all of these issues. So, so let me tell you what, what my feeling about the, the, the Chauvin trial was, and, and you get into it. So one of the things I noticed, you know, now that I'm 58 years old, I actually have 
you know, great. I, I thank you. But I actually have historical um, reference points. I can think of other trials, other than and and one of the things that I've noticed in the Chauvin trial more than any similar thing in my entire lifetime is that there was no contrarian uh, uh, opinion out there all the time. So, for instance, when during the OJ trial, now we knew OJ was guilty. We knew it even before the trial started and he had, you know, decapitated. This was at least as horrendous or equally horrendous as to what um, Chauvin was accused of. And yet in between the, 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 the courtroom sessions, you'd have experts on CNN poking holes in the prosecution's case saying, well, this, this was weak. Never, no, nobody would accuse him of being sympathetic to OJ or sympathetic to murder or whatever it is, but just on strictly like, what about this? What about that? Maybe that's weak. I mean, if there was video of OJ cutting off her head, it might've gone a little differently. No, no, I don't, courtroom. I understand what you're saying, but I don't, but I don't think that's what I'm, so for instance, KSM is another one. When KSM, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, who was, you know, the 9-11 terrorist, when, when it was talking about trying him, the ACLU was very, very, um, uh, vocal about the flaws in, in the arguments against him and whether she better st stuff like that. And, and it is true that from time to time, people would accuse the ACLU of being sympathetic to terrorists. But that kind of criticism came from kind of like the ignorant right wingers. Enlightened people understood, no, the ACLU exists for civil liberties and civil liberties are, the, are, are um, most easily uh, ignored when you have unpopular defendants. So that's so when so when, so when there was an unpopular defendant, that was normally when liberals kicked into high gear, and they that didn't happen with the Chauvin trial. My so you have any comment about all that? Because that, that bothered to, me. I hate to I hate to um, oh, I hate to break it to you because I know you said you wanted to debate me about something, yeah. but I very much agree with you. I think a lot of the coverage on many networks ignored all of the defense points of view. Now. Just so you know a little bit more about me, since it's the first time, and, I'm, and by the way, I'm honored to be on your show. I'm really oh, excited right. to be here. I'm a big fan. Yeah. So I, I thank you. I treat you, you way nicer than we treat a Ron Nan. Go ahead. <laughs> Are you a fan of the show or a fan of the Comedy Cellar? I love the Comedy Cellar, and I've listened to, to a bunch of your shows. I heard Andrew Yang on your podcast. I, th I think you guys do an excellent job of showing a lot of different viewpoints, and I, and I, I love the show. And I love the Comedy Cellar. I like to go to the... Is it the olive branch upstairs? Olive, olive tree, olive tree. Olive tree, olive tree. I can extend an I olive branch. Extend an olive branch, yes, exactly. But in any event, I, I do agree. I think that there was very one-sided coverage of the trial. And just so you know a little bit more about me, I'm a defense lawyer. So I truly believe that I don't care if you're an unpopular person, I don't care if everybody hates you, everybody is entitled to a defense and that's a cornerstone of our legal system. Right. So I'm not sure um, how, if you'd watched a lot of the coverage on HLN, it sounds like you've watched a, a decent amount. HLN, no, I only, saw, I only saw one interview with you, only one. Cool, got it, got it. So HLN is CNN's sister station, and we watched the trial gavel to gavel. And I will say, just not to promote, you know, because I, I love the That's network, okay. but there were opposing viewpoints on that network. I'm not sure it got as much attention as some of the other networks, but some of these stuff, I heard coming out of media coverage, and I, I'm not going to identify people because I, I work with all these people on various networks, but something to the effect of, uh, oh, I can't believe the defense opened his closing argument by saying that the prosecution has to prove their case. That just means Chauvin's guilty. I was appalled. Yeah. I was appalled. That came from a formal federal prosecutor. I mean, there are certain aspects of criminal trials which are just... The, the basics. And the first is the presumption of innocence. 
and the fact that it's the prosecution's burden to prove its case beyond a reasonable doubt. So to say that I just, it, it's simply not correct. And, and I don't think any attorney can really with a straight face say that that is a correct notion. Now, I think during the trial, uh, look, I watched it every single day. I watched every moment of it. I thought there were moments where the prosecution did a really great job. I thought there were moments where the prosecution's case wasn't so good and the defense could have really taken advantage of those moments. I thought some of the defense experts were really bad for the defense, unfortunately, uh, for the defendant in that situation because they really had some good stuff with respect to the prosecution's experts that could have capitalized on and and that was really a problem. Um, And I say that, and please don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that he should be innocent or guilty. I respect a jury verdict. I think there was plenty of evidence to convict him. Right. Uh, it's up to the jury, just so all the listeners understand, the jurors hear all the evidence and they weigh what they believe to be the most influential, most important, what testimony they choose to believe, what testimony they choose not to believe. Um, but I certainly don't think that it was a situation where the defense had no arguments, throw up your hands and leave. There were a lot of defense arguments with respect to use of force and some of the medical testimony, which was extremely complicated, uh, that that I, I think could have resulted in a different situation. I wouldn't have been shocked by a hung jury. Can I ask a question about sure, the case? Of course. They, I was reading about it and said when they brought up the possibility of him, of, of the, the judge instructed the prosecution, if they brought up once again this possibility of the carbon monoxide or the fuel, Correct. that they could, it could uh, go into a mistrial. And I didn't understand Mystery what that crime. was what that was in reference to, how that would go into a mistrial. Yeah, so towards the end of the trial, the prosecution actually brought out a, 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 a basically a document talking about carbon dioxide and the carbon dioxide in George Floyd's lungs at the time. And it was something that had not been disclosed. From the exhaust pipe of the car. Yes, right? from the exhaust pipe. And it had not been disclosed in advance to the defense. So essentially what the judge did was narrow the questions that the prosecution could ask uh, to the, the the witness on the stand, who was Dr. Tobin at the time, which was a, which was who was recalled in the prosecution's rebuttal case. So the the judge said, you can ask him about this, despite the fact the defense did not have it in advance. But you can only ask this narrow, narrow, narrow pool of questions. And if you toe that line, there's going to be a mistrial. So it was a very serious admonishment by the judge that was mm-hmm. done behind the scenes. Now. Just and, and I know everybody on here knows this, you know, we cover, cover cases in the media, but it's not really like Law and Order or whatever legal show that y- you want to think of. There's not these aha moments where somebody slaps a document or puts a witness on the stand that nobody's heard of that wins the case. You know, everything is disclosed in advance. And in fact, there's discovery rules which take away that element of surprise and are supposed to level the playing field. So that's why you heard that issue. And that's why it was such a serious. You actually can't have those aha moments. Yeah. You're, 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 if you have an aha that moment, would be a somebody didn't do their job. Yeah. <laughs> in the verdict. Aha moments are frowned upon. Look, look, I thought, I thought Nelson, is that, was that the guy's name? Nelson? Eric Nelson. Yes. I thought he was just awful. I know you, <laughs> yeah. just awful. And I, I'm going to tell you why you tell me what I'm missing. So as I watched the, the expert testimony, there was Tobin, that he was the, who, who basically, and please correct me if I'm wrong, because I didn't watch it that carefully, but I think I, I, I'm right, although I, some of it I might just be remembering wrong already. Tobin was essentially said, this hold would have killed anybody, even an able-bodied person. It, it had nothing to do with all his pre-existing conditions. It had nothing to do with anything. You could, have, you could have put Arnold Schwarzenegger under there with that kind of pressure calculated to the tenth of a pound. That would have killed anybody. 
And then it was a Even guy Arnold that, Schwarzenegger, 70-year-old yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, I'm talking, yeah. And then in the middle, there was an expert, I forget his name, which essentially said that, well, no, this is positional asphyxia. And, um, you know, given the fact he had all these health conditions, blah, 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 um, this killed him. And then, then you had uh, the guy, um, what's the name of the, the, the actual person who did the autopsy? Oh, yes. Yeah, Baker. Dr. Baker. Baker. Baker said, no, actually, this wasn't positional asphyxia at all. This was just all the stress of the situation and all his pre-existing conditions, and, and he finally just gave out. So in my mind, what you have there is three different experts, none of whom have the same opinion quite of why he died. And by the way, the first expert and the last expert have mutually exclusive opinions. And normally when you have three experts who can't agree on one thing, yes, they all agreed that Chauvin was responsible, but that's not enough in my opinion. They all have to speak with one voice as to how it killed him because there's a fourth option here, which is he had a lethal dose of fentanyl in him. And, you, and if, 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 if a Nelson had the balls to say to Baker, you say that there was a lethal dose of fentanyl, that you've seen people die of this amount of fentanyl in the past, and that if you had found him alone uh, with no other, nothing else to go on, you would have thought he just died of fentanyl. How do you know he didn't die of fentanyl overdose? How do you know? And Baker would have to say, well, I just think it's unlikely. And they say, well, unlikely is not, uh, is not reasonable doubt. You have to prove that he did die of this. You have to prove that you know that he didn't die of fentanyl overdose. Otherwise, that's what we call reasonable doubt. And by the way, there was a guy in the car with Chauvin, with, a, with a Floyd. Mm -hmm. Maurice Hall. Maurice Hall, who might know about uh, his, uh, whether he built up a tolerance, whether this was more fentanyl he'd ever taken before in his life, or he took this amount every day. And the prosecution refused to give him uh, immunity to testify. So ladies and gentlemen of the jury, what do you think? If he had something to say that was gonna be bad, good for the prosecution, don't you think they would have given him immunity to testify? Why do you think they didn't give him immunity to testify? Well, it stands to reason they didn't give it to him because this guy was gonna say something that might help Chauvin. So, and, and like you put all that together, he didn't make any of those arguments. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, no, and, and uh, that was very compelling and I'm clapping because I, I I'm, I'm like right, <laughs> no? Look, I, I don't say the no. guy's innocent. I don't know, if, I, don't, I don't think- No, he, no, I mean, it's- like, There's I, a reasonable I, I doubt standard. Well, and the, the, the job of a defense attorney is to raise reasonable doubt, right? To poke holes in the prosecution's case and to identify the issues that would stick in the jury's mind and they would say, look, I don't think I can convict on every element of this and it is time beyond a reasonable doubt. And it is but, stupid for people to attack the defense attorney because everyone does, you know. Well, I think the does, problem is, you know. yeah, it's really easy to look back and, and do the, you know, uh, Monday morning quarterbacking and saying that somebody should have done X, Y, Z. A couple of points just based on the, the actual trial. There were some limitations to what Nelson could ask, and that happened in out-of-court proceedings uh, before the judge where what content could actually come out in front of the jury in, in these, you know, ex parte, meaning outside of the, just with the judge and not with the jury, what they could actually talk about with each witness, what questions could be asking the parameters of what was going to come into the courtroom. Um, I agree. I think the point should have been made with Dr. Baker very strongly that 
It is extraordinarily rare for prosecutors to distance themselves from the, their medical examiner. That's the person for the state that conducts the original medical examination. And they were really kind of like, I guess we have to put this guy on the stand because we need the autopsy report, but it's bad for the case. So they tried to overshadow it with a lot of other experts. Dr. Tobin, I thought was really, really compelling. Personally, as I watched him, I'm like, wow, he's matching up the pictures with, you know, matching up the video with the, all of these moments and explaining the medicine, and I'm really understanding it. But to me, I thought, well, this is strange. I think the prosecution is boxing themselves into this narrative where nothing else mattered but, the, but, but being in a prone position. And I actually thought that would be to the detriment of the prosecution, and, and I, I reported on that because it, it just isn't consistent with some of the other facts. All of that being said, just, just quickly, and then I'm happy to hear what anybody thinks. This is the problem with cases that are really hinging on expert testimony, and it's what we call battle of the experts. And it's that a lot of experts are going to come out with differing opinions, and they're going to tend to cancel each other out in some way. And a juror is going to latch on to one expert or another. And as a defense attorney, you kind of hope that somebody has the same opinion that you do, that this doesn't make sense with this expert and that expert. And then you end up with either a hung jury or you end up with somebody who's a holdout on, on the medical causation, which was a primary issue in this case. Um, but it seems like a lot of the jurors, and this is just from some of the post-trial interviews, they really, really decided Dr. Tobin. They, 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 they felt that his testimony was the most credible. And again, that's really a big factor in a jury trial, that a battle of the experts is a really, it's a tough case. But, but it does come down to, in the jury's mind, just a gut feeling? Uh, well, I mean, it seems like it'd be a bit of a coincidence to have a foot on someone, him saying, I can't breathe, and then that guy dies of an OD this when is you're my watching point. this thing happen. That's kind of a pretty big coincidence. First of all, that's exactly, I'm so happy you said it because my next point is going to be, this is, the, the, the whole case is based on coincidence, right? But two things. You know the case of Sicknick, the, the, the officer who died um, after the, June, the January 6th uh, riot, insurrection, whatever you call it? Yeah. So he was, um, first they said he got hit with a fire extinguisher, then he said he got, they got hit with his bear poison or pepper spray, whatever it was. And, and everybody was sure he died as a result of this. And lo and behold, they find out there's, a, there's a, 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 a medical examiner report and it says, no, he died of natural causes. He died of natural causes the day after uh, getting all this, uh, all this violence on January 6th. That's a hell of a coincidence. And you know what? They were ready to convict somebody for that murder if not for the fact that, they were, that a, a doctor was ready to say, no, no, it actually was natural causes. Now that's a coincidence, but you know it's not really that much a coincidence if you think about it? dying an hour after you take a lethal dose of fentanyl. Wherever you are, after you take a lethal dose of a drug, that's where you're gonna die. That's not, and if, and if you happen to be under someone's knee, it's a coincidence that you're under someone's knee, but the dying. Well, the stress of being some, under someone's knee plus the fentanyl. But compared to the sickness thing, I mean, I, I, that was weighed on yeah. me. It's like, well, holy shit. This sickness coincidence is huge. But that's what happens when you don't prove somebody did something. Right. I mean, when you have a foot on someone and they say they can't breathe and he doesn't put the foot off that entire time. Well, except time, that. Yeah, except no, that it is, does feel like murder. No, 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 because, wait, wait, Missy, I'm sorry. No, oh, no, because, sorry, yeah. 
because what we know now, which we didn't know um, earlier, was that he was saying, I can't breathe as soon as they came upon him. is When he was in the back of the car, he was saying, I can't breathe. When they tried to get him to sit down in the car, he was saying, I can't breathe. And he probably was having trouble breathing. Mm -hmm. But that could have been, that, that is not inconsistent with drug overdose, right? Probably made it really hard to breathe. Maybe yes, maybe Multiple no. Autopsy no. Let me see. No, I, I think that just, and, and everybody's points are very valid. And this is actually a very um, good, good showing of what goes on in the jury, jury room, right? And, and this is what generally does go on with juries, is that there is this debate about these facts and how they apply to the law. But in this particular case- Is there case, really? Which, is there well, really? In this case, there was only 10 hours of deliberation, but I'm saying in general, <laughs> that's what you usually see that there are jurors that have different opinions about the facts and, and, and whether or not that applies, how that applies to the elements of the case and how that applies to the law. What I wanna make the point about, and this is a surely legal point, outside of just, um, everybody's seen the video, the video is horrible. The video really carried the day, I think, for the jurors. Um, and and that, was, that was my opinion on the, the end result. And I, and I understand why it was difficult to watch that day in and day out. Absolutely, it's terrible. but. One of the critical elements in any criminal case is the jury instructions. What do the jury instructions say? Because that is the roadmap that the jury has when they go into the room and they talk about the facts and how it applies to the law and whether the prosecution fulfilled its burden. And in this case, the jury instruction said that Chauvin has to be what's called a substantial factor. He doesn't have to be the only factor. And I, and, and that's, that's, the way the, the, these particular jury instructions were written. Now, Eric Nelson had lobbied for um, jury instructions, which included a, an instruction about superseding cause, meaning that something else comes up in between whatever the act is and the death, and that's the cause of what happened. Now, the, the instruction ended up being a little bit more pro-prosecution, and I think that makes a huge difference because, again, these are complicated legal concepts that are being diluted into, you know, here's the elements and here's how you apply the law, and that substantial factor causation really left a window open to say, even if there might be all of these other competing factors, if you believe that this was a substantial factor in George Floyd's death, then you can convict with respect to causation, which applied to all three charges. Misty, what do so, you to I gotta go. I'm convinced by that, but I gotta go. Hey, wait, but, uh, oh, I, okay, well, if you go now, you're, I'm really gonna talk about you. Go ahead, Dan. Okay, I'm gonna rush, but done, uh, thank you all. It was a fun conversation, I appreciate it. Bye. Nice to meet you, over the screen. <laughs> you get extra spots this week, Ron. Right go ahead, Please get food tonight. We used to pay our podcast guests, by the way, we stopped doing that. Go ahead, but, Dan. Anyway. Well, we're paying and so much, having such a good time conversing. Yeah, come in and find us and eat but, and but, drink. But ahead, Misty, how would you, do you think that a trial by jury is the best way to render a fair and a correct decision? If you had to design a system, would it be a jury trial? Look. I mean, how really, how really good are these? I mean, it's not, it's not 12 angry men, generally speaking. What goes on in these jury rooms? Great point. I mean, I'm... I'm not, I'm not in the jury room, but as, as practicing lawyers, what we try and do is talk to juries after verdicts, uh, and you get a sense of what people are, what people gravitate towards, what they care about, and I'd say it's very unpredictable. Look, I, I personally, I believe in the system, and I think that we have to, there are certain cornerstones, like I said, uh, the prosecution has to prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt and the presumption of innocence. I believe that you get 12 people who, are, who can go in and can be impartial and can make a determination. I cannot think of a better way. I truly do 
believe in the system. I'm not saying that that means it's without flaws, right? Because there's always going to be, there's never going to be something that's perfect. But when you're talking about somebody's liberty, um, you know, I, it's, there has to be a system in place that there's nothing left to one person to decide. Well, other countries do have a, have like where one person decides, right? Sometimes it's a judge trial. You can have a bench trial, but that, that's something you could elect to, to do. Do you think the results are better that way or, or with the jury? I think it's a very strategic choice and it depends on the facts. And, and that's always going to be the case because look, there's certain, le there's discrete legal issues that you might say, this is better left to, to the judge. Now I'll give you an example. In the Chauvin trial, um, the aggravating factors. So the pros the, after Chauvin was convicted, the prosecution made a motion for what's called aggravating factors, meaning that Chauvin could get a higher sentence than what is in the sentencing guidelines. Chauvin could have had a jury decide on that, but instead elected the judge. And I think that was probably the right move because even though it was ultimately not successful for him, they are discrete legal issues and you might get a judge who can detach from the facts and be have a less sympathetic view. Um, but in general, a jury trial is going to be a better, a better case for the, for, the, for the defendant because think about all the different outcomes. Yeah. A hung jury, you know, you can have a conviction on one charge as, as opposed to the, less, the lesser charge as opposed to the highest charge. Um, you know, there's many, and you can have an acquittal. And so I do, again, I just, I truly believe in the system and I, I, I believe in the system being um, fair and, 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 and that's what part of the problem that I had with this trial is that I do think there's some judicial error that could call the jury verdict into question that happened throughout the trial. Um, on appeal, uh, and look, and I also, my, my other issue, and I'm not talking, I'm not saying I think the result was wrong. I just do not think outside influences, um, you know, public opinion should ever, ever have an impact on a jury. And I think to say so is really reckless. So okay. Misty, Misty, so, so. Sorry, I'm off my soapbox. No, I'm no, there's a lot there. And by the way, but, but one thing I noticed, and I, I, I talked to a lot of smart people and, um, one thing I've, I've noticed that they have trouble getting or internalizing, not because it's a high IQ concept, but for whatever emotional reason is the, is the, is the notion that the state has to prove it as opposed to it was a coincidence or that, you know, and this is, this is happening over and over again. And the other point that people seem to have trouble with is that it doesn't matter whether he's guilty or not. The, the point is to have a fair trial. And right. it's very, very hard for people to process that I might say, listen, I'm not, I'm not saying whether he's guilty or not. That's not my even actually what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned that there's a lot of things about this trial that don't seem, on the, don't seem proper. And um, so leaving that, let me go, go through them. And I, I, but, but just to, and one of the things I wanted to, when you said battle the experts, what I think was unique about this and where the, where the defense dropped the ball was that usually it's experts on opposite sides. But I think that they really should have hammered home that the prosecution had experts with mutually exclusive opinions. And that I think is devastating to the idea of beyond a reasonable doubt. If you, if the prosecution with all its resources can't find two experts that have the same conclusion about what happened. If every one of them shades differently, I mean, if, if you go to three different doctors and you get three different opinions, all of them say you're sick. All of them, get, but you know, all one person says it's this, one person says that. 
you, you're not going to have, you, you couldn't possibly say that any one of those doctors uh, convinced you beyond a reasonable doubt. That's just not what beyond, if they all said the same thing, you say, I'm convinced. So that's it. So yeah, I think you make a good point. And I will say just very, very quickly and then yeah. on to the next, but um, that, uh, and many times if you talk to jurors, you'll hear them say that the most influential part of the trial to them from a defense perspective is that closing argument where those types of points are made and hammered home. And he didn't hammer. He criticized the information you know, over the course of weeks and weeks. Wait, wait, Dan, hold, he, and he spoke way too long. He, he, he literally shouldn't have spoke more than, than 45 minutes. But let's go through the issues that I think- thing I've noticed from the dawn of the internet age, the dawn of social media age, is that people, and it's been said over and over again, people don't change their minds. We've seen it over and over again. No matter what you say, what arguments you make, people stick to their own positions. I mean, that's something that's, you know, that we see on social media all the time. Right. Jurors are no different. One, if you're going in there with, with, a, with, with a chauvin is guilty mindset, and everybody, of course, was aware of this case. I mean, is there any way to sway people? And is it, you know? Well, so that's why there's such a extensive war gear process, because the idea is that in a case like this, there's not a place on the planet that you haven't heard of this case, right? I mean, this is the most high profile case. So you're not gonna have people who say, oh, Derek Chauvin, who's that? Who's George Floyd? No, that, that's not realistic. But the reason you go through the juror questionnaires, the reason that you go through the voir dire process, that you have the extensive questioning, is that you hope to find jurors who even though they might know about the case, they can be impartial and put whatever they know or have learned aside and be fair and focus on what comes out in the courtroom. I'm not saying it's easy and I'm not saying any attorney is such an amazing mind reader to know that you, you actually get those fair and impartial people who can truly put their preconceived notions aside and really focus on what happens because the only thing that matters is, the, is in that room. Can anybody, I mean, Jonathan Haidt, who was a guest on our show a few couple years ago, wrote a book about how just basically most people just don't change their minds once. They, and, and so the question is, is, is really anybody, is it even possible? Well, how about Casey Anthony? You know what I mean? Like the most hated, yeah. one of the most hated people at the time that her trial was going on. I, I, and, and I don't know, you know, whatever. I, I can't pretend to get into the minds of jurors, but I do think that oftentimes you're, uh, uh, when you go into the courtroom or, you know, I will say for when I watch a trial and I, and I try and approach it impartially and I actually try and put aside the fact that I'm a defense lawyer so I look for certain things, um, you know, you're surprised at what you hear when the actual evidence comes out as opposed to what you might hear or read in an article or see on TV. So um, my point is, I think it's possible and I think that you do your best to get a fair and impartial jury uh, who can put aside any of those preconceived notions to focus on the true task. And I do think most jurors, and you know, I can't speak for everybody because obviously there's always an outlier, most jurors do take their duty seriously. And, right. and want want to dispense justice, whatever that might be. Let, can, can, that, that's, let's go through um, the issues that I find troubling. First is, I think the idea of substantial, um, subst what's, it, what's, what's the wording of the statute? It has to be a substantial cause? Substantial, yes. factor. substantial factor. All right, I find that on his face to be a constitutionally, unconstitutional standard, vague. Nobody can tell me what it means. Of tw 12 jurors would have, 12 different ideas of what the word substantial means. It's a, it's a, it's a word without a definition. 
It could be 50%, less than 50%, 10%, 90%. And um, it's in, how do you prove something that you can't define? Why, how, you, how, how can you put somebody, how can you like, get the death penalty on somebody for, for, for an adjective like substantial? Well, and, and that's part of, there's been a lot of arguments about this just with respect to even the terms beyond a reasonable doubt that no one can really truly define what it means. It doesn't, and, and you'll hear a judge say, it doesn't mean no doubt. It, it, you know, and so, yes, it's true. Some of these terms are very vague. And oftentimes what a trial attorney will tell you is that the word, you define the word the best you can based on the statutory language. And that's what's going to be in those jury instructions. And that's not made up. That's something that comes from the statutes. But what it ultimately ends up meaning is whatever those 12 jurors, if they come to a consensus, want it to mean or think yeah, it. I, I don't like it. It should be but for. I don't see. I can't. But for, I understand. If, if it hadn't happened, he wouldn't be dead. I don't understand a substantial thing. Anything could be substantial. Well, but but for could just be, you know, you, you, you said hello to him and he looked that, towards you and got hit by a car. That's a but for. But you can't say that somebody's. Uh, uh, no, I'm not, I'm not, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm saying that I, I understand what but for means. Yes, it could mean that. Yeah, I, I understand that. But I don't understand what a substantial factor means in the sense of someone's guilty or not guilty. Anyway, that's the first thing. Second thing is, um, how could they, if, if this was not the, a, an example of a case where a change of venue was appropriate and a case where sequestration of the jury was appropriate, um, can you give me an example of a case where those concepts belong? I, I actually can't. I think this was the prime example of a case where sequestration or change of venue was appropriate, and, and, I'll, and I'll tell you why. And I think that there were several opportunities for Judge Cahill to correct what might have been wrong from the beginning. Uh, because, first of all, if you recall, obviously a change of venue was asked for right at the, the very beginning, right? Um, the judge said no. The argument's made that there's publicity and you're not ever going to get away with from publicity. But there's a second piece to that argument. That's one factor. And that might be true. You're not going to be in a place where there isn't uh, publicity regarding this case. But the other factor is that the jury pool is going to be directly affected by the outcome of this trial and that there could be fear and trepidation to not conform to what public opinion is. To me, that is the most egregious and prejudicial factor because you want to have a jury that's gonna go in there, listen to the evidence and make a determination based on that evidence. So strike one for, for the judge on that factor, which I think is going to be pretty prevalent in an appeal. Well then you also have, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. But anywhere in America, the jury might face, uh, you know, prejudice if they, if they didn't convict. And you make a good point, with, no. but the, 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 the argument is that this is, first of all, the, the epicenter of where there was a lot of upheaval after George Floyd died, protests that turned violent, that this would directly impact uh, the jurors' businesses, you know, friends, family, and that they simply wouldn't, would not want to go against public opinion. The other piece is that outside the courtroom every day, the jurors are walking through George Floyd Square which is it's it's fine to have um a memorial like that uh, understandable and then that's up to the public but if you change the venue and move it to somewhere where you're not in the in, in the epicenter you're not in the city then you might have a better shot and i and i don't mean that there couldn't be problems there too but that would have been step one well there, there, <laughs> could, there could be problems but but it's less it might be like, less so and, 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 and the, of being i mean 
I always felt my whole life that the, the, the defendant should get the benefit of the doubt. So we can't be 100% sure by changing the venue, we solve all these problems, but why not change the venue when we, when we, we, we know for sure that these problems are gonna exist in Minneapolis. And by the way, the jurors' names are gonna become public. People are there, their friends live in the same town that might be the victim of destruction. Should there be rioting or whatever it is, that's less likely uh, removed from uh, the, the, the city or that city. I mean, there's so, yeah. I mean, that's all you have to do is put yourself in the position of the defendant and say, what I, what I think is really fair for them to try me uh, with a bunch of jurors whose names are gonna come public and, by, and, then you, and I can't separate it in my mind, maybe I should, from the idea of um, sequestration because you have a judge there who's going through this performative thing of what evidence can come in and what evidence can come out, shouldn't come in, and what evidence is prejudicial. And then the jurors go home and they read it all online. Right. And, and look, they're not supposed to, but it's, it, you can't, you know, the argument now is that you can't, you say don't watch TV, but you can't look at your phone without a, something well, popping up and, and giving you the, the news. Of this the is the point I was going to make. Sequestering yeah. juries was a concept that came out of the 40s and 50s, right? When, when I think, I think is that, that when it was hard to get information, you would think in the modern age, we'd have a hundred times more juries sequestered because, because of the internet, because of social yeah. media. Like well, it, yeah, I agree. And I, and I think that, you know, first of all, the change of venue, the second issue is not adjourning the case when a $27 million landmark settlement came out during jury selection, huge problem. Then not to sequester the jury when, uh, when uh, Dante Wright occurred, there, there were, uh, there were significant uh, issues in, in that city kind of foreshadowing what could happen uh, at the end of this trial, there was obviously the comments by Maxine Waters. Uh, you know, there's there's a whole host, a whole host of issues there, and really that all boils down to what's called judicial error, and that's going to be a big factor on appeal. And even Judge Cahill, with respect to Maxine Waters, said, "Hey, you might have an appellate issue." Was for the first time pretty salty about the fact that you had a politician making these statements that there is a right answer. I mean, it's kind of mind blowing to me. Uh, there's a right answer. There's only one right answer, and it's to convict on all the charges when the jury's not sequestered. Um, look, uh, all of that I think is really good. Uh, there are great appellate arguments, and and then there's another piece to the appellate arguments, which is that these issues are cumulative. That any one of these issues might not stand alone and be enough, but all of these issues together uh, may actually be an appealable issue. And I will say. You know, no judge wants this. Everybody wants a jury verdict to be a fair verdict. Nobody wants a verdict to be overturned. Um, you Because you want to go in there with that uh, fair trial and that you've got a jury pool that's fair and impartial and that that, jury, that verdict is going to be preserved. The, the idea of appellate court is not to second guess a jury verdict. Just, so here's, here's another thing, and we'll get right out of time soon, but I did some research into this. Apparently, this felony murder rule in Minnesota, which um, very rare, which very is very rare. rare, which does because it doesn't it doesn't have a merger doctrine where um, right no independent felony where uh, where an assault is not in, in most progressive uh, uh, areas you this would not be a felony murder charge because if it's an assault it can't become part of a felony murder and it, this is typical of what I was saying in the beginning and civil liberties groups and progressive lawyers have always thought that this was uncivilized that we had such laws. And yet you saw people who spent their whole careers 
being disgusted by this type of felony murder law, cheering or, or just neglecting to mention that their entire career they had thought this was an, unjust, an unjust law. And now they're saying, oh yeah, good, good, good for him, you know? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think that the law in Minnesota, it's, it's so unique and it doesn't make sense to me because what murder isn't a felony murder if assault isn't, can serve right. as the underlying felony, I mean, then every murder is a felony murder, right? So usually it would be, the, the prime example is you rob a gas station, somebody gets killed in the process. The underlying felony is the robbery and then it becomes a felony murder. That's, that's typical. No, this, this is a very unique uh, very, very unique law, very, uh, Minnesota, which I learned, which I'm not an expert in Minnesota law by any means, but there's a couple of rules in Minnesota that I would say are very unique to, yeah. to that jurisdiction. And, and, let me, and let me add to the people listening, because I know that this kind of conversation gets mad, especially when lawyers have them. We, we might be oblivious because we did this in law school, and we're even, but um, if you could just make the analogy in your mind to the exclusionary rule that everybody knows about where like if, if evidence is gathered um improperly that evidence is thrown out and quite often that leads to an innocent a guilty person going free and we've all kind of learned to accept that because again because the fairness of of everything is supposed to be more important than the outcome and that's really all we're saying here is that i, I don't think any of us um thinks certainly none of us thinks that Chauvin was innocent and um, we're all probably uh, close to thinking he was guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. But having said all that, these issues, if, if you imagine these same issues, like if it was the trial of the Central Park, the kids accused of uh, the Central Park rape of the jogger in the, in the 90s, people would understand these issues right away. You mean there was somebody who saw the thing who wasn't given an immunity and they didn't, and that, that might've said something to defend those kids and nobody, and they weren't allowed to testify. We'd be outraged at that, you know, and, and you can take every one of these issues and just imagine, imagine it through a case that you're sympathetic to and every one of them would anger you, but it's not supposed to matter which way you feel about the case because they're all supposed to be considered innocent, but that's very hard for people to, to, to internalize, correct? Yeah, I agree with you. It's, it can be a very difficult concept and you tend to gravitate towards something you agree with as opposed to think about it critically from different perspectives. I, I think that's human nature. What do you say, um, oh, I was about to ask Misty if she's familiar with um, Ben Shapiro uh, mm -hmm. and whether or not she agrees with me that Noam is... Oh, stop with it. I, listen, you're, you're complimenting me by comparing Ben Shapiro. Not, not I'm imperfect, not a fan of but Shapiro. certainly a lot more intelligent, no. logical, no. And coherent than Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro is very, very smart. He's, he's a prodigy, you know, to, but, but Ben Shapiro, I, you know, I, ben Shapiro I, is, is mean. Well, I don't know. If he's, if he's smart, he's not showing it with a lot of the stuff that he says. Maybe, maybe I agree with Dan. Maybe because he's biased. And, and, you don't and, listen to Ben Shapiro, Perry. I listen to him. Um, so I've, I've actually done Ben Shapiro's show before um, a couple of times. He's a very and smart guy. He's very, very smart. He's very intelligent. And I will say that my experience has been he is open to other... He, there, there's no world where he cuts you off or doesn't allow you to express your opinion. Um, and so you can agree and reasonable minds can disagree on many things. Well, that's nice because I've listened to plenty of fucking bullshit and horrible <laughs> things that he said that have been appalling. Frankly, he first of all, he, he he talks like he calls Biden doddering and he talks about Nancy Pelosi's dentures and stuff like that. I don't he like said, that kind of thing. 
and and it's horrible things about gay people, just disgusting things. I've read that he's. I don't know about that, but um, so so he he can be mean. Second of all, he made an argument the other day. If we want to talk about Ben Shapiro, I don't want to talk about Ben Shapiro. Never mind, because she has a relationship with him. But he made he made, it, he made an argument about race the other day that I that I found um, ex- very very weak. I'll, I'll mention. I'll talk about it on next week's show. I don't want to put Missy on the spot. No, that's um, okay. Like by, like I said, by no means do I. You know, I don't think there's anybody in the planet that I agree with everything they say. Um, I I very much someone who thinks for themselves, but. Well, he, um, he was making I, an I, argument. I to hear opinions. He was making yeah. an argument about uh, black people in America, and look, I'm and I'm pretty conservative on a lot of uh, issues like that. But he, he he harped on the fact that black people were um, more successful and had a better standard of living in America than they do in any other country in the world, and I found that to be a very poor argument because black people have the right to expect to be treated uh, in. C- the same as anybody in America. They don't, have, I mean, who gives a shit if black people are treated worse in, in, a, in some poor country or in Africa like that? Is, is that mean a black person is supposed to protest for his rights less vociferously because he's supposed to be appreciative of the fact that he could have been born in Africa? I found it to be a very tone deaf argument, not helpful at all. And I was just, I was just surprised to hear it coming out of his mouth. And, and maybe it does betray a certain worldview which um which which is which is troubling of his i don't know i, I, I there was something else he said too is not coming to mind but that sort of thing where he an argument which if he if it was coming the other direction he would have no problem seeing the flaws in it from time to time i hear it coming out of his mouth and it's 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 uh, it bothers me about him you know, there's so much room for reform in the world and everybody has we got to work towards it i i agree with that i'm you know i'm part of a lot of diversity and inclusion committees i'm a partner at a law firm uh, we we're trying to all do our, our part. Yes. Well, I'm not trying to do my part. I'm just uh, I'm just uh, doing jokes uh, about it. <laughs> so now now I didn't know that I knew him. So fair. What, what do you think? Uh, what do you think the odds are of this case being overturned on appeal? And what and it and how much do you think the um, worry about the public outcry will impact that? So uh, first of all, I. The, the first step is right now there's a motion for a mistrial, which goes before Judge Cahill. Um, that's going to result in a hearing. And the, the root of that is there's, there's eight reasons why this mis- the, the defense moved for a mistrial. And it's not unusual for the defense to move for a mistrial. There's not a case where they don't. Right. Uh, all of the arguments that we just talked about, they were all set forth as well as some others. But the most problematic argument for the prosecution in this is juror number 52, Brandon Mitchell, and the fact that there that uh, this photo came to light where Brandon Mitchell is wearing a Black Lives Matter shirt, and that it's at odds with his responses on a jury questionnaire. Now, just to give everybody a little bit of context, we're seeing this issue play out also in the Scott Peterson case. Everybody probably remembers this case. It happened a very long time ago, the murder of Lacey Peterson and her unborn baby, um, where this very same issue is on appeal right now, that a juror did not disclose pertinent information about a prior domestic violence offense on her jury questionnaire. And the appeals court is sending it back to the trial judge for a hearing on whether or not it's going to result in a new trial. I would say that this issue, pardon me? A new trial for Scott Peterson? Possibly. He's already getting a new penalty phase. So the death penalty has been overturned. That's insane. That guy should be 
tossed in the river and cut his head off. And carry out. I, I, and you say that, and you know what? Oh, many agree, but this just shows how severe this issue with potential juror misconduct is. That you can have a case like that. You know, you can have a case with that type of evidence and that that verdict and that conviction can be vulnerable because of uh, a, a juror not being honest on it. That means he walks free. That means there's another trial. That means there's another trial. And here's and the issue with Scott Peterson is there's a bunch of new evidence they're going to seek to admit if, if he does have a new trial. I mean, that I followed that case so closely. I mean, there is that guy is just absolutely... Well, if that's the case, then he'll be convicted at a second trial. Well, Maybe. But I, you know, you know, one thing I always say, and I, and I, and I, and a federal judge said, I can't take credit for it because a federal judge said this to me like 10 years ago when I was much more junior in my career. He said, a jury is an honest roulette wheel. That's what I will give you. You know, <laughs> you will, you will select a jury. You will have the, the process will be honest, but at the end of the day, it, it's unpredictable. And, and, and that's really that's what it is. And that's why no, no one wants these verdicts to be vulnerable because of these issues. Now, right. I have a whole thing about how did somebody not find this, right. you know, this picture before jury selection. I mean, right now with the amount of information that's about, that's on the internet with about every individual, you know, a lawyer is not doing their due diligence if they're, they're not fully vetting and these issues, something like this isn't coming to light sooner. Than politically yet. speaking though, it's possible to, 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 uh, to throw away this verdict, I just can't imagine. Given so the let me show everybody. This is the, this is the picture. This is the uh, sorry. This is the picture. Can you see it? Yes. That's the the juror, correct, Misty? Correct. So now imagine you're on trial for your life, and you find out that one of the jurors was wearing a T-shirt, essentially about the fact that you were guilty before the trial ever started. That doesn't sound very american to me that sounds like I, 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 thing, I, that sounds I, like the kind of thing people who complain about the justice system complain about well and you, but and and but the true problem and and look that that picture might exist and that juror could have still been selected the problem is with the responses on the jury questionnaire that are not accurate right, right, and right. not true so if, if, if with eyes open it's different but it wasn't eyes open. correct so so that's that's where the pro that's going to be the single strongest argument look do i think that judge cahill is going to grant a mistrial Personally, I do not. Do I think that these issues could be very, very novel issues in an appellate court? Yes, I do. And, you know, obviously the world is imperfect, but if the system works the way it should, an appellate, appellate court judges should not be considering the political consequences or the public fervor or, or any public opinion in making their determination. There's, you know, there's some lawyers who say that this case, if it goes up on appeal, and I'm, I'm not saying I necessarily agree. I've heard some experts say this, some people that I work with, could potentially go up to the Supreme Court. Why do they say that? Because this issue of how we deal with publicity in, in a world where the law is always a little bit behind technology. This is something that we've been dealing with for a long time. My friends laugh at me because I'm walking around going to a dinner with like three you know, wheel bags of documents like, oh, <laughs> we still use paper in my field. Uh, but, but as an aside, but, you know, how is, how are courts going to deal with these issues? And do we need to establish some new rules in order to deal with these high, high, high publicity trials? I don't know if that's really going to happen. Bill Maher um, with the new rules. What's that? 
I say, Bill Maher, the new rules. <laughs> but in any but case. Uh, that these are really serious, you know, that, that is the one to me, I think the most, uh, the issue that would be the most prevalent. And again, there's the argument that all of these issues together constitute what's called a cumulative effect. And, and that's why it, it, it could be a, it's a, an appellate, it could be an appellate case. That juror thing bothers me. I mean, look, the, the flip side of this is not actually a legal issue, but it's, it is worth saying that, thank God for these body cameras and video cameras, because there is no way that this cop would have done anything but filled out a form and gone on with his life, if not for video cameras. And we can I, all I imagine. Agree. Yeah, you know what happened. I mean, look, there's there's no, I, we, you know, I talked about this during the trial. How often do you have so many cameras from so many different angles? We've got all the body cam videos. We've got the cameras across the street. I mean, th there wasn't a doubt about what happened. There's not going to be an argument about the actual incident that occurred. The question is, how does it, how do the facts apply to the law? That's a different issue, but you're absolutely right. There's no room to say, Oh, that's not the way it happened. No, it, it is. Can you imagine how much abuse there was routinely? Not forget about murders, just, you know, data, you know, beatings and, and all kinds of stuff before people had, cops had the reasonable expectation that they might be uh, being filmed. Yeah. I mean, really, it, it's, it's changed. It's probably um, prevented more suffering than, than any other change in law enforcement ever has and, and we don't even realize it you know it's so anyways i'm i mean i don't know i i I'm, I'm happy that that he was arrested and i'm happy there's a trial i just wish that you know the, that this trial didn't have these issues and they are issues i i know this makes people mad but they really are issues and and in in any law school class if this was a law school hypothetical final exam every single student would have identified these issues without even and considered it an easy exam like they're so they're so blatant if only you have the courage to say it out loud right yeah and and i i think that look i i'm i look at it from a sheerly legal perspective i'm human the video tra is traumatizing i think it's awful um but i truly believe in every every person popular unpopular no matter who you are your right to a fair trial and that has to be preserved. Yeah, yeah. All right. uh, that is a great way to, 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 to end, I think, uh, Misty. I think you put a uh, nice little bow on this thing. And uh, why don't we stop there? Because it has been an hour and a half. Oh, geez. Yeah. Well, not with you. No, because we were ranting, about, ranting and raving with Renan Hirschberg before you got here. M Misty, I sent you some, some links in the um, chat. You see that? Yes, I do. Can you can you copy them and and paste them into your own thing so you have them? Because I don't these I, these are uh, I don't even say these are some um, scientific studies that I found. I don't know if you've seen these, but these are really disturbing. But I don't want to talk about them. Yeah, just just copy the links so you have them, or I can. In any case, the Comedy Cellar reopen. Do you have a Vax card? I know that you do. Bring it on down, starting. June 1st, we will be at full capacity. Obviously, you got to make a reservation because we do sell out. And if you don't have a vaccine, then I guess you're not going to see shows at the Comedy Cellar. So if you're, if you're not vaxxed, that's another motivation to get vaxxed. Um, comedy, podcast at ComedyCellar.com for comments, suggestions, queries. 
and uh, constructive criticism. And I guess that is it. We thank Misty Maris for joining us. And you can, I guess you can follow her on Twitter, I would imagine. Yep, Twitter and Instagram, Misty Maris Esquire. Misty Maris Esquire, ESQ or the full word? ESQ. ESQ, uh, Esquire. And uh, Peril Ashen Brand, On My Knees, available on Amazon. <laughs> and the only bush I trust is my own. Thank you, everybody. We will see you next time. Bye. Nice to meet you, Misty. Nice to meet you, Bye. too. Thank you so much. Come to New York. You're not in New York. You're where? You're in Florida? I am a New Yorker. I'm right downtown. You also come down to the club. I'll come anytime. This weekend. You know what? I'm in town. I would love to come. I'll, I'll email you uh, tomorrow. Please do. Email me. I would love that. You look like such a Midwesterner. I assumed you were nowhere near New York. No, no, no. I'm a New Yorker. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Oh, I can't wait. Okay. See you later. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye, everybody. Thank you.